tell us without Him we are nothing. And you might say, well, I'm all right. I'm pretty good. I'm thinking I'm this. The scripture says without Him we're nothing. So there's two types of folks in this room this morning. There's the ones who've been called to salvation. They've put their trust and their faith in Christ. And they're the ones who have been called to salvation and they've rejected that. So everybody in this room is either a friend of God or an enemy of God. And even though that's not what the message is about this morning, I would think in this messed up and crazy chaotic world that we live in, if I have two choices and one of them is to be a friend of the sovereign God of the universe and the other is to be an enemy, I would want to be friends. He's called you to that. And at the end of this service this morning, when an invitation is given and people begin to move forward, I'm just asking you right now, you just come forward and you take somebody's hand. I don't know who will be here. You take someone's hand and pray with them and say, I want to be friends with God. I want a relationship with Him. I want to know Jesus Christ. That guy talks funny, he's weird, he talks fast. I don't even know all of what it meant, but I believe when he was saying everybody's called and some have been called to salvation, that God's calling me today. I've been praying for weeks before I've got here that God would call people today. And maybe some to salvation. Everyone's been called to salvation. Everyone's been called to sanctification. That's a big fancy church word that just means right living. That's that's a big fancy church word that just says we're called to live right with God. This God who loves us has a plan for our life and he has has how we live in this world. And it's not about us following rules. It's about us getting through this life victorious. On top of it, Scott said a moment ago, you watch the news right now. It's just not, nobody watches the news and says, I'm edified. (laughs) Turn that thing off off mercy God tells us how to live in this world so that we can live above this world and its chaos and its circumstance and its garbage and its mess not that we're blind to it no we're going to speak to it (laughs) come on we're all called to salvation we're all called to sanctification we're all called to serve And by serving, I don't mean sitting in a church pew. We just had this awesome song. Did you hear that? We speak to nations. Most of us haven't spoken to our neighbor about Jesus. We're talking about nations. I'm not knocking the song. Lord, love you, child. That's beautiful. Most of us have not answered that call to serve. Most of us have known Christ. We... We cling to that call to salvation and that relationship with Him. We wrestle with that call to sanctification. And most of us, sadly, never get near that call to serve. And our faith is exhausted in simply deciding on whether we will go to church or not. That's not serving God. That's not serving. Don't leave. I'm glad you're here. Good. Good. But my Bible says, as you go into the world, you make disciples. As you go. Anybody going to stay here when it's over today? Awesome. You're already taking the first step. It's time to speak to nations. 
It's time to speak to that neighbor. It's time to speak in that workplace. It's time to speak to those people you go to school with. It's time to speak to enemies. God tells us to love our enemies, love our neighbors. Everybody say, I'm called. You didn't answer strongly that time. I don't blame you. It's kind of scary, isn't it? See, I said that the first time, and everybody's like, I'm called. Second time, she's like, I'm, I'm called. Yeah. Yeah, I'm called. That's kind of, I don't know if I like this whole call thing or not. We're going to talk about that call this morning. We're going to talk about who you're speaking for. We're going to speak to nations, who you're speaking for. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. It's an awesome passage of Scripture. It's a timely passage of Scripture. I'm going to read the first five verses, and we're, we're going to look at, don't be afraid. We're going to look at the whole chapter. Don't be afraid. Isaiah 6, starting in verse 1, going to verse 5 for right now. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. I just want to stop right there. <laughs> I just want to, I, I'm overwhelmed at that idea. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It's all over. I am doomed. For I am a sinful man, I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Mercy. Can you imagine that? Can you just put yourself in that room? Can you just put yourself in that temple? And it says the hymn, it, it, it says that the train of his robe filled the temple. Actually, in the original language, it's just the hymn of his robe. In the Hebrew language, I mean, it's the hymn. These genes have a hymn. Just the hymn filled the temple. His presence overwhelmed the place. His presence overwhelmed the place. God's presence got Isaiah's attention. God's presence got Isaiah's attention. Listen, God's presence ministered to Isaiah. It ministered to Isaiah. We know enough about Isaiah to know that he was part of the aristocratic inner circle. He would have had a relationship with the king. He would have known the king. He would have had some level of friendship with the king. And it was in the year that King Uzziah died, he would have been grieving the loss of a king. He would have been grieving the loss of this friendship. He would have been concerned about that, like any of us would when we lose someone we know. And in that, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I mean, the Lord met him where his need was. I like that. The Lord met him right where his need was. This prophet of God on his way to the temple and on the way to the temple and as he gets there, he sees the Lord. It ministered to Isaiah. But listen, it was also in the year that King Uzziah died and if you've read the Old Testament or if you, if you haven't, I encourage you to. Um, man, as you look at the Old Testament, every time Israel would get a new king, one would die and a new one would come along, it was a scary place. Some kings would do awesome. Some kings would be brutal. Some kings would replace a great king and take the nation in a terrible direction. Some kings would follow a king that was tough and make it worse. 
some kings would follow a horrible king and turn him back toward the Lord. So the loss of a king and this turnover of power was a tumultuous time, and it was one where Isaiah could have had angst and concern. Wait a minute. Oh, somebody giggled. What'd you laugh at? Wait a minute. It wouldn't be half bad if in the year of an election we put our focus on the Lord. It just wouldn't be half bad. Now, this is free. I can't help it. It's just where we are in our world right now. He's going to the temple with a friend and a king who has died. He's going to the temple, and, and the country is facing the, the turnover of power, and he sees the Lord. And you know what? It looks like to me in Scripture that everything else, everything else changed right that moment. We're going to get there in just a moment, but everything else changed. It was in the year that King Uzziah died, my friend, I saw the Lord. It was in the year that King Uzziah died as I was concerned about where our country was going that I saw the Lord. Ooh. God met Isaiah right where he was and he ministered with him, ministered to him. And what I love most about it it begins in verse 1. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. And it ends in verse 5. I've seen the king. Turns out the king is not dead. It turns out the king cannot be killed. It turns out that the king is immovably sovereign. And it doesn't matter who holds a title it matters who sits on the throne. And our Lord is not... He is not even leaning forward with concern about our election on Tuesday. His place of sovereignty is secure. He does not need a Republican or a Democrat to carry out His divine purpose. He is sovereign. He raises kings and He destroys kingdoms at His pleasure and for His glory, and for righteous purposes. Isaiah said, it was the year that King Uzziah died. I was going up to the temple. I saw the Lord. Turns out the king's alive. I, I thought he was dead. I just got something to speak to the nations. I've seen the king. God's presence overwhelmed him in that presence God's presence convicted him as well. God's presence convicted him as well. What's he say in verse 5? Ooh. <laughs> he said, uh-oh, that's not in here. But he said, it's all over, verse 5. I am doomed. Why? Because I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips but I've seen the king. I've seen the Lord of heaven's armies. Whew. I kind of think that fits where we live today. Some of you are older than me. I don't remember a time when our political process was so vile and people were just talking about one another so horribly. It's just like, how much junk can we drag out? And, and, and it's absurd. And it's ungodly. 
and it's not right. And if you're a part of it, stop. See, I can make you mad like that and go home. <laughs> but you can't show me in Scripture how we who are called to sanctified living can justify some of the speech we've had in this political season as followers of the living king. Everybody say, I'm called. I'm called. Oh, you're picking back up now. That's good. God's presence overwhelmed and convicted Isaiah. He had his attention because he ministered to him. But as he ministered to him, he says, oh boy, it's done. I'm done. It's over. I am a sinner. And I have seen the Holy One. I am a sinner. And, and come to think about it, everyone I know is a sinner. Isn't it interesting that he went just white to filthy lips? He could have made a list. He could have made a list. I wonder if in the presence and the holiness of God, he just thought, I am not giving him the glory. My lips have talked about things that are useless and don't matter. I wonder if in the presence of God, he thought, I've been talking about things that are irrelevant and they have no eternal value. I, I can't, I don't know, but I know he just said, I have filthy lips. I know this, Isaiah went to the temple that day focused on the king's death and he left focus on the living king. God's presence got his attention. God's power, though, removed all of Isaiah's excuses. Verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. That's the gospel right there in the middle of the Old Testament. Your sins are removed. They're gone. God's power removed all of Isaiah's excuses. He purified Isaiah. He took those hot tongs. He took those tongs and he took that coal. I wonder why that angel took tongs to get a coal. It's hot. Well, it says he touched him later. That altar's a holy place, and that angel's not holy. God's holy. No one's supposed to touch that altar. No one's supposed to touch that altar. Even the angels of heaven don't touch that altar. He takes tongs to remove that from that holy place. Not even the angels. But he touches those lips. He says, okay, you've, you've been purified now. You've been purified. He took away any excuse he might have to answer a call. Because God's about to call him. He had confessed his sin... And God purified him. I want to tell you something. When God called me to ministry, I was pretty sure, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, that God was making his first mistake. I'm not worthy. There's nothing. There's nothing. As Scott and I were talking the other day in New Orleans, we were talking about the people who have preached in this building. Some people who have had influence in our life. Some people who have influenced Baptist history have preached in this room. Some people that I have great respect for and stand in a little bit of awe for. I don't deserve to carry their water. But I don't deserve to open this Bible and say, thus saith the Lord. But you know what? You and I don't get to choose who's called. We're all called. Every single one of us. 
Moses said, well, I can't speak. He was happy hiding in the wilderness. And God said, no, I want you to lead a nation. Gideon, remember Gideon in the book of Judges? A lot of you may know that story. Go home and look up the book of Judges. It's in the Old Testament. Google and find if you have to where Gideon is in there. The dude is hiding in the worst place in the world to try to thresh wheat. He's hiding. And God sends an angel, and the angel says, Mighty warrior, man of valor. <laughs> he's hiding is what he's doing. And God was saying, I'm going to take this man that's hiding over here and I'm going to lead him to, I, I'm going to call him to lead a small army. We can go on and on and on and on. I know guys have been professional bull riders. Their, their fingers are kind of like this. If you know bull riders or calf ropers, they usually don't have straight fingers and a lot of times they don't have all of them. I can think of a guy named Ray Runner who was a bull rider and his hands were like this. And late in his life, God called him to go pastor a church. And he pastored that church till he died. I can think of guys that were part of motorcycle gangs running from God, enemies of God that God saved and called and said, now go plant a church in some places that you wouldn't want to live, much less pastor. I'm not saying it's because you're not tough enough. Nobody wants to live there, I don't think. But, but some do. In a culture that's absolutely opposed to God, and I just think about that guy, our friend Jack, and man, I mean, he was running from God. He was fighting for the enemy. He was just sold out to his motorcycle gang. God got a hold of him, turned his life around, saved him, he repented of his sins, he saved, and, and God says, now you're called. I, I want you to go pastor, I want you to go serve, I want you to go lead other people to Christ. I, I don't know enough about Isaiah's past, but I know this, in the presence of God, he was convicted. And in the presence of God, he confessed that conviction, he confessed that sin, and God purified him, and God prepared him for his call. I want to tell you something here today. There's nobody in this room who is unqualified. Somebody may have told you you've been disqualified. You're not disqualified. Maybe there's something you can't do. I don't know. Maybe there's something out there you can't do. But listen, if God calls you to it, he will He's the one that's in charge of who's qualified, and he's the one in charge of who's prepared. You may say you're not capable. Ha! Don't tell me that. I told a couple of Sunday school classes this morning, I am a truck driver. I am a heavy equipment operator. That's what I do. That's where I'm comfortable. This is not me. I remember the first time I prayed out loud in church, I was going to ask God something profound like, God, be with all the sick people. And honest to goodness, I spoke out, God, be with the pig people. <laughs> I said amen, and I left the platform of the church, terrified. It was a profound prayer to begin with. Be with the pig people. That's pitiful. That's, that's just sad. I feel sorry for that person as I look back now. I wasn't a pastor at the time, praise God. Don't declare yourself unqualified. Don't declare yourself unworthy. Don't declare yourself incapable. The sovereign one who calls you determines those things.
And every one of us in this room is called. And every one of us in this room is called to serve. Some will serve as a pastor. Some will serve as a Christian, godly coach and role model. Some may serve with a wrench and their tools. But everything you have in you right now, God can use for His glory. God's presence, God's presence got Isaiah's attention. God's power removed all of His excuses and God's purpose becomes Isaiah's purpose. Look at verse 8. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? At that moment, don't you think Isaiah might have looked around and gone, um, there's nobody here but me, you know? Just kind of me and the Lord talking here. You ever had, those, you ever had one of those times where you knew the Lord was just speaking to you? Man, I've been praying for that for a while, too. I've been praying there'd be some people this morning that thought that preacher was just talking to me. I hope as I say that this morning, there's somebody going, how did he know that? I know what he was saying was just for me. Well, sometimes that can be uncomfortable. I've been in that worship service. I've been in that time where the preacher was preaching. I was like, good Lord, God, don't do it in front of all these people. You're just talking to me. Who's going to go? Who can I send? That uncomfortable moment when you're like, well, there's nobody else here. Who are you talking? You're talking to me? You're talking to me? Who's called? All are called. That would have been the right answer. You could have even said, I'm called. That would have been the right answer. We're all called in this particular place, in this particular time. Isaiah was, God was speaking specifically to Isaiah. He had changed his attention. He'd gotten his focus. He had prepared him and purified him, and now he's calling him to serve. I heard the Lord saying to me, I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? At this particular place, at this particular time, Isaiah's purpose changed. God's purposes became Isaiah's purposes. Scott, I can remember it so clearly. We were on the beach in Panama City, Florida. I'd been off from work for a while with a soldier in, shoulder injury and had, had some surgery and this, that, and the other, and I was wrestling with a call from God. And one morning, about 3.30 in the morning, we were camped on the beach because I'd rather camp on the beach than stay in a motel. I'm just kind of weird like that. Um, I'm more outdoorsy kind of person maybe, you know, that kind of deal. And uh, <clears throat> I remember not being able to sleep. I remember getting out of the tent. I remember sitting on the bench or on the beach at about 3.30 or 4 in the morning, and it's not because I'm super spiritual. I couldn't sleep. That was the bottom line to it. But on that beach that night, I remember saying that morning before the sun came up, Lord, talk about nobody but there but me. I remember saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to go home this afternoon, and I'm going to tell my wife, she's asleep in the tent, resting comfortably, that I think you're calling me to ministry. 
and you're going to have to work in her heart because she's going to think I'm an idiot for even saying that because she knows me better than anybody. She knows my past. She knows my faults. She knows everything about me. This is going to be terrible. This is going to be awful. But God, I'm going to go do it, and you'll see for sure that that's not what's going to happen. We walked into the bedroom that night. I said, honey, i got something to tell you. What is it? I said, uh, uh, well, sit down. Um, sit down on the bed. Sit. You should be comfortable. Um, if when you pass out, I don't want you just hitting the floor. And, and, and I said, God's calling me to pastor and, and, and the minister. I know that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I started making all these excuses, and she handed me her Bible. And she goes, flip through the back of it there. You're going to find something. I flipped through the back of the Bible, and there was a prayer card out of our church's pew back. And she had written and dated three weeks before God's calling Mike to pastor. Okay, God. You're serious about it. See, I can't say that. Because I heard the Lord say, who's going to speak? And who's going to go? Who should we send? Who should we go? And you know what? I, I came away that night far more convinced than I had the night before on the beach. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. You mean I'm called, don't you, God? You, you mean you're calling me to do that, don't you, God? I remember a lady, she was in Limhigh River Cowboy Church one night. I'm kind of an odd duck if you hadn't figured that out. I pastor Salmon Valley Baptist Church in Salmon, Idaho. Ten years ago, God led us to plant and pastor Limhigh River Cowboy Church in, in, in Tendoy, Idaho. Population 217. Huge. And that's the whole zip code. So I'm pastoring one, I'm planting another, and we'd been there a while. And it was a Sunday night, and this lady sat just like three rows in, and, and she's just weeping. And I'm thinking like a preacher, she's going to get saved. She's going to get saved. End of the service, she doesn't get saved. And a few minutes later, somebody comes and says, you've got to go talk to Karen. And I said, yeah, now we're going to get saved. And I went to her all preachered up, ready to lead her to Christ. And I said, what's God doing in your life? She says, I've been praying a church for, for a church in our community for three years. Would you come plant a church in our community? And I just started to weep. I said, yes. And she said, how? And I said, I don't know. That's 105 miles away and I already passed her in two churches. I don't know how. She, go, how? she said it again. She said, how? I said, it doesn't matter. You're standing in front of me saying, will you plant a church? And God has called me to plant churches. I don't have a choice. I'm coming. So we did. I didn't have anything to do on Friday nights. Both my churches meet on Sunday. And I pray to the good Lord that church stands until Christ returns. It may as well have been God standing in front of me. Will you come plant a church in our community? Turns out, turns out, Isaiah in verse 8, he answered this call. I said, here am I, send me. I would have had a question mark there. I would have said, can you send me? Praise God, he would have answered it, yes. Because that's what he said to Isaiah in verse 9. Notice something about this call, though. He didn't tell Isaiah where. He didn't tell him what. Isaiah knew nothing about it. He just said, who... Can I send and who will go speak for us?
Oswald Chambers says, Faith never knows where it's being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. Faith never knows where it's being led, but it loves and it knows the one who is leading. I had a guy call me from Texas just the other day, and he said, I, I don't even know you. I found your phone number, and I understand you lead church planting for Utah, Idaho, Southern Baptist Convention. And he said, I, I want to ask you a question. He goes, I'm just thinking about East Idaho. Is that weird? And I said, well, I live in East Idaho. I don't think it's weird. I'm glad. He said, God's just put it on my heart. And he said, I want to pay my way and my wife's way. And he said, I'm pastoring the church right now. I'm going to pay for my worship leader too. And we're going to come visit. We're going to come visit after Thanksgiving because we want it to be cold and miserable. We want to get a real look of what Idaho's like. That's good thinking. <laughs> but he asked me again, he said, is it weird that I just can't get southeast Idaho off my mind? I think God wants us to come out there and plant a church. No, it's not weird. It's not weird at all. Everybody's not supposed to do it. But there's a guy somewhere in Texas right now that's preaching this morning, and you know what's on his mind? Before the end of this month's over, I'm going to Idaho because God's just put it in my heart and my mind, and I can't get it out of my heart and my mind. God says, who's going to go for us, and who, who'll speak for us? And Isaiah said, I'll go. Where? Where? He didn't ask any questions. He just said, I'll go. God's, God's still calling people. And you know what? He, he needs some people. And I don't say he needs from a standpoint of not. But he's looking for some people who will just say yes. Some people that will put yes on the table. And figure out what yes looks like on their way as they go in obedience. It's exactly what Isaiah did in this passage right here. Listen to what God's message was, though. This is awesome. This is fantastic. Look at verse 9. Yes, go and say this to the people. Listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people. Plug the ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, not hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. You know what? When God calls you, you don't get a choice on what you get to say. You and I don't have that prerogative. When the living king calls us, we speak for him. We don't speak at our own discretion. We don't speak in our own voice. We don't speak on our own terms. We speak for the king, and we speak for the king alone. Can you imagine that? God's called me. What does he call you? Oh, can't you just imagine if there was a Mrs. Isaiah? Honey, God's called us. Really? What are you going to be doing? I'm going to be preaching to people that won't listen and won't look and won't hear and they're not going to follow, and they're not going to respond, it's going to be great. It's fantastic. A lot of times we look at people's lives and we judge by the numbers of people around them whether they're successful or not. Isaiah was successful when he said yes. Sometimes we measure people's ministry by how large it is. That's not it either. My favorite is David in Lodite, Wyoming. David comes to preacher school. Your pastor and I have the privilege of, of teaching pastors in some of these remote places, some of these uh, uh, very rural places, teaching them how to be pastors. People that get saved in a community and they need a pastor and, we, and, and God calls somebody from in the place where they get saved. 
kind of a biblical model. And we train them how to pastor a church. Lodot, Wyoming. Anybody ever heard of Lodot? I'm looking hard. Everybody, nobody... We've, we know where Lodot, Wyoming is. It's huge. Population, no, say 70, 75. There are way more people here than there are in Lodot, Wyoming. <laughs> no, there's more people right here than there are in Lodot, Wyoming. <clears throat> and if you get out of town into the surrounding area, there's upwards of 82 now. There's a fellow that comes to preacher school in Casper, Wyoming a couple of years ago. Who are you and why you're here in preacher school? Well, I, I teach a Bible study class in my church, and I just want to know how to teach the Bible better. I'm not a pastor. I'm not doing anything like that. The next fall, this guy, by the way, is in his mid-70s, and he walks with a cane. The next fall, he's out antelope hunting, and on his way home, he stops in the one store you can stop at in Lodot, Wyoming, to get a Coke and some fuel and he asked the guy behind the counter, where do you go to church? The guy says, there's nothing here. There's no church here. I don't go to church anywhere. Dave, he went to preacher school a few months before. W would you if there was one? And the guy said, yeah. Dave's going to Lodite every Sunday afternoon now. And he's worshiping with 10 to 12 people every Sunday afternoon in that store, in that place. You say, well, now, is he a pastor? Well, he is for those folks. There was nobody there proclaiming Christ, and now there is. There was not a body meeting. That, how big does it have to be? I, I'm pretty sure my Lord said when two or more gathered in his name. So they've got the minimum requirement if you just want to go by that. <laughs> like a long time ago. Is Dave, is Dave getting, Dave's not getting a penny for doing this. Is, are, is, is he going to get written up in the state paper? Are they going to talk about his church leading the association in giving or baptisms or anything like that? No, they're not. But people are going to get saved in Lodite that otherwise would not have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are going to be in heaven because my Bible tells me from every tongue, nation, tribe, race, everything, there's going to be somebody from Lodite, Wyoming, worship one of these days because that man meets in that place this afternoon with the 10 or 12 people that will gather. Percentage-wise, if the same percentage of people showed up here next Sunday, you don't have nearly as big enough building for them. How many folks in Hattiesburg? 60,000? 6,000 folks show up here next week. Y'all got a mess. Statistically, that's what he's talking with and that's what he's dealing with. Success is in the yes. That's where it's at. God's message was a tough message. So Isaiah asked one, one question. It's the only question he had, verse 11. I, I, I think he stuttered here. This is just me. How, 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 long, how long do you want me to preach this particular message? And God comes back and says, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland. And the Lord, till the Lord has sent everyone away, and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. If even a tenth, a remnant survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But as a terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. So you, you got me this really crummy message, and people aren't going to pay attention. How long do you want me to do it? 
And God said till it burns up. This world's being reserved for fire. Didn't 1 Peter or 2 Peter? 2 Peter tells us that. Okay, so I'm called. How long do I do this till there is no more? And let me tell you something. God's response is disturbing. God's response is hard. And he basically tells him, I'm not calling you success in men's eyes. I had folks tell me, don't go to Salmon, Idaho. If you go to Salmon, Idaho, man, your future in ministry won't work out. You won't be able to go up this ladder. You won't be able to succeed. People forget you're there. They didn't know me to begin with, so it didn't really matter. But it turns out, it turns out that God can actually do something from the middle of nowhere. Where Moses was. David was on the back side of the wilderness tending sheep. And the Lord said, anoint him to Saul. Anoint him and consider him king. There's some people that don't consider Hattiesburg, Mississippi, the garden spot of the world. I just thought I'd let you in on that. And there's even some people that think, well, Hardy Street, bless their hearts. You know, bless their hearts, pat them on the head. You're right where you need to be. And you're poised to do amazing, amazing things in the kingdom of God. The only thing that stands between you and that is simply saying yes. That's it. If God can start a church planting movement with a truck driver in Salmon, Idaho, what can he do with you? I mean, y'all are sharper. You got more resources in this room than our church has right now. You got more people in this room. You're a formidable army if you respond by saying yes. And that's just in Hattiesburg. Let me make this point before I, before I close. God's presence, power, and purpose doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. It doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean everything's going to work out like you expect. If just because you follow God's call, you may think everything's just going to be gravy and it's going to be awesome, it's going to be fantastic. And you say, man, I hear Mike talking about what God's doing and that must just be something to experience that. You know what? It's tough. It's hard. When you respond to that call, don't just think, oh, it's going to be sweet now. I'll just follow the Lord and life will just be gravy. It'll be unicorns and rainbows. That's not what it's going to be. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. If God calls you to Idaho, if God calls you to Utah, if God calls you some other place in this world to serve him, it's not going to be just kick back and follow the Lord. You better tie a knot in the end of the rope and hang on. Because the enemy's going to come after you too. The enemy's going to come after you too. You're going to have a target on your back that the enemy's going to come after. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I'm going to pray and I'm going to be done. I'm going to turn this back over to your pastor. Everybody in this room is called. Every single one of you in this room is called. You've been called to salvation. If you've not followed that call, 
Today, I'm going to ask you to follow that call. Every single person in this room has been called to, to right living, living a life that exemplifies Jesus Christ. If you've got something in your life right now that looks a lot more like this world than it does Jesus Christ, I'm just going to ask you today to come to this altar and lay it down and put it down. Go away from it. Walk away from it. Get your life right with Christ. Every single person in this room is called to serve. And if you're not serving today, I'm going to ask you to stand up and move on it. Answer that call. You know what? I can't but help but imagine in a room this size, there's not somebody in this room that's already been wrestling with a call. And you go, well, you know, I used to think God wanted me to do this, or I used to think God wanted me to do that. He's not removed that, by the way. The call of God is irrevocable. If that's the case this morning, you know what? You need to answer that call. You need, you need to step up and take a pastor's hand and say, you know, about 10 years ago, I thought God was calling me to ministry. I thought he was calling me to pastor. I thought he was calling me to do this or that or international missions. Or, man, I'm, I just, I'm just telling you, pastor, I'll go. I've got two men right now, two men right now, who are selling their possessions and they've said, tell us where to come plant a church in Idaho. That'll load your wagon right there, buddy. They don't even know where they're going. But they and their families are selling their homes. One of them's a rancher selling his ranch. He says, where do I need to go? I'm following God. Faith doesn't know always where it's going, but it loves and it trusts the one it's going to follow. Some of you have got a call like that. I don't care what age you are, I don't know how small you are, how young you are, how old you are, how incapable you may think you may be. The living King has called you. You need to answer that call. Father, in this room today, I thank you for the privilege to open your word and speak it. God, you use the foolishness of preaching. <laughs> I thank you for the people in my life who prayed over me people in my life, Lord, who preached the times that you spoke to me in a room and I thought you were, I was the only one there. I was just the only one in the audience. God, I pray today in this room that there's folks like that. They realize they need to answer a call to know you, to live for you, to serve you. God, I pray now for a freedom in this room the enemy be bound, our hearts, our legs, our hands, our feet, our minds, our emotions, be free to say yes, Lord. Help us to be a people in this room, in this place today, who say I'm answering that call. For the glory of this living King, we pray these things. Amen.